On the day that Lord Vincent Sinclair returned to Pembroke Palace after a tedious week securing a fiancé in London, cold, hard raindrops were dropping from the clouds like overturned buckets of nails. With his future bride sitting proudly beside him, he sat back in the rumbling coach and rubbed a hand over his chin. He looked out the rain-soaked window at his majestic family home in the distance, in all its arrogant, pompous glory. Miles away, high upon the hilltop, it gloated, preened, and reveled in its own lofty magnificence. In Vincent's mind, however, those impressive stone towers and turrets and the ostentatious triumphal arch at the entrance could not disguise the wretchedness in its foundations for it was built upon the ruins of an ancient abbey, whose walls had been knocked down by betrayal and the grisly murder of one of his ancestors. Of course, that was a long time ago. Now it was a distinguished, dazzling palace, a house of dukes, and hardly anyone knew the intimate truth about the Pembrokes, that brotherly betrayal still breathed behind the tapestries, and a secret madness lurked in the dark, subterranean passageways. He turned to look at his fiancée, Lady Letitia Markham, eldest daughter of the Duke of Swinburne, but found himself staring only at the back of her head, for she was sitting forward on the seat beside him, peering out the other window. He noted the excessive details of her elaborate hat, the silly lilac bows and ribbons, and the complicated wreath of cherry blossoms, all of it secured over a dozen shiny black ringlets, and scented with strong, somewhat sickening perfume. At least she was a beauty, he thought, as he turned and looked out his own window again. If he was going to be dragged like a dog into marriage, it might as well be pleasantly done. Letitia was tall, slender, and graceful. She had the face of a goddess. So if nothing else, she would be pretty to look at on their wedding night, when he was fulfilling his husbandly duty by depriving her of her virginity. He glanced at her again, looked her up and down with indifference, then returned his detached gaze to the view outside the window. To be honest, he wasn't even certain she was a virgin. Not that he cared. When it came to his duty to his family, he cared for very little. He certainly cared nothing for the woman beside him. She was shallow and self-absorbed, and interested in nothing more than his social position as a Pembroke and his fantastically enormous fortune. She certainly did not love him. But that was hardly a problem, he supposed, because he was a man who lived for pleasure, drinking and whoring, seducing beautiful, willing women who matched his own fervour in the wild quest for debauchery. He was disreputable and depraved, made no apologies for it, and Letitia, thank God, understood all of that. There were no preconceived notions of romance between them, she even seemed rather contemptuous of sentimental affections, which in all honesty made this woman his perfect match. But that was beside the point. What mattered presently was that his father had already given this particular woman his stamp of approval, which was at the root of all this insanity. Vincent had gone to London to fetch Lady Letitia and propose, with the full intention of marrying her before Christmas, because his father demanded it, if all four of his sons were not husbands by then, he had made clear, they would all be disinherited. The upside was that they would each be awarded five thousand pounds on their wedding day, just for saying, I do. The Duke had deemed it so in the will, 
along with the stipulation that he must approve of each new bride of Pembroke. That was reason enough to go through with it, with this woman in particular. The money would secure him a residence far away from the palace, so he would never have to return here again. And, of course, how could he forget? There was also the family curse that needed to be thwarted by four marriages, or, heaven forbid, the entire palace would be swept away by a torrential flood. Bloody madness, all of it. Bloody ridiculous madness, with nothing to be done to change it. The doctors and solicitors had deemed the Duke sane at the time the will was drawn up. So there it was, unalterable. Exhaling sharply, he leaned closer to the window to look up at the ominous clouds in the sky and the rain that showed no signs of letting up. His father was probably in a panic today, if the fields were flooding, which they most certainly were. The coach had driven through half a dozen puddles the size of fish ponds on the way here.